September 30th, we observed the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. In general, if you can put the first slide, reconciliation is an act of two people becoming friendly again after an argument or a disagreement. We all have disagreement and arguments, you know, as we live together as sisters and brothers. Right? Can anyone say that, you know, you never argued, you know, ne never disagreed with anyone else? No, we can't say that, right? We all go through it. We all go through, you know, this in our lives. At times we get into arguments and disagreements, you know, sometimes we may not even look at each other. Sometimes we, not, we may not even, you know, speak to one another. But this morning, God wants us to reconcile. Can you say reconcile? So reconciliation is an act of two people becoming friendly again after an argument or a disagreement. So I want to read a portion of the statement by our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. I don't have that in the screen. I want you to just listen to me. So this is what he says. He says today on Friday, September 30th, today we mark the second national day for truth and reconciliation. An opportunity to, to come together to reflect on the legacy of residential schools and the ongoing impacts on survivors, their families and communities, as well as commit to continuing the hard but necessary work to build a better future for all. And this is what he says, in between 1831 and 1998, over 130 residential schools operated in Canada, this is my addition to it, mainly the Roman Catholic, organized by the Roman Catholic Church, they operated three-fifths of the residential schools. The Anglican Church, one quarter of these residential schools, and the United and Presbyterian Churches, the remainder. In all Canadian provinces, except Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, and Newfoundland and Labrador. At least 150,000 First Nations, Inuit, and Métis children were forcibly removed from their families and communities to attend residential schools, where they had to abandon their languages, cultures, spiritualities, traditions, and identities. It all started with a good note of bringing education and good civilization for those First Nation Inuit and Métis children. But during that time, many experienced physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, and thousands of those children never came home. Today, as of now, we know somewhere between 3,500, 4,000 to 6,000 children were found to be missing during those days. The last such residential school was closed in Saskatchewan only just 26 years from now, in 1996. The experiences and the intergenerational traumas of those so-called schools continue to live on for indigenous people across the country. Every single day, it is our shared responsibility 
to comfort the legacy, sorry, to confront the legacy of residential schools and the ongoing impacts on indigenous people so we can truly move forward together. Reconciliation is not the responsibility of indigenous people, but it is the responsibility of all Canadians. It is our responsibility to continue to listen and to learn. Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada was established in 2008 to uncover the truths of this human rights violation and to facilitate reconciliation among former students, their families, their communities, and all Canadians. That's what he says. So when Christian institutions fail to perform their duty in a godly way, the hope is lost. You know, you and I are the hope for this world. Today, the church is the hope for this world. When we fail, the world doesn't have any hope. Today, the church has the responsibility of bringing back this hope. So churches today stands in hand in hand with the government to bring this hope back. It is important for us to understand this morning reconciliation in the context of the past, in the context of the present, but more importantly, in a Christian context. So this morning I would like to title my sermon as Reconciliation. Can you say again, Reconciliation? So it's a very serious topic. It's very necessary during a time such as this. And it is very relevant today for the time of this world. Reconciliation is to bring back the lost relationship. That's what we read in the definition. Can you say lost relationship? Reconciliation needs to be done in order to, for, the rest the, for the relationship to come back alive. I don't know about you, but whenever I go, to the airport to receive someone, the amount of joy I have is tremendous. <clears throat> you know, whenever I go to receive, you know, I would have received many of you here from the airport for the first time when you came, not all of you. And thank God today we have, a, we have a committee for that. We call it as a newcomer support group. And I don't need to rush any every time. And you know, they are responsible to they're volunteering to go and receive people from the airport and helping them to settle down. Newcomer support group. Any of you here? Can you just stand? Newcomer support group. Okay, two of them here. Amen? Thank God for them. Please be seated. Thank God for them. So they, they are responsible to receive people. So whenever we go to receive people, you know, even though they were or they are not my relatives in the natural sense, but someone arriving in the airport knowing that there is somebody that is there to receive in a foreign nation, you know, just that gives them a great hope and assurance and joy. And I would like to be part of the joy whenever possible. And I'm more thrilled, over thrilled, you know, when I receive them and take them home and then help them and settle, help them to settle down in this nation. I mean, these are, these are all part of the, part of the, part of the, what, the, the, the pleasure or the joy that we experience, right, as we help people. We don't talk about it often, but I'm talking about this now, because I want you to know that there is, it's a good thing to do. The scene that I can never forget in my life was this. In 2010, we visited India after five years, as my mother had a fall and he, she broke her hip. And she suffered in pain 
for three months, thinking that, you know, things will become okay, but they're not. And the doctor called me, and he kind of scolded me and said, what are you waiting for? You need to just come in immediately. And we were not at all prepared, and we had to go. And when I went there, my dad was waiting in the airport to see us. And I could see the, the, the sleepless nights in his face because mom was going through severe pain and then he was just inside of her all along. And I could just see that in his face. And when we landed there, when we met him, I also could see the joy, the confidence that it brought back that he has come. Now I'm kind of relieved. You know, whenever we meet people, we really realize the relationship is very important. In 2019, when I visited mom, and she was in the hospital after having a stroke, the moment when I went there, she just recognized me it was because it was the early morning. And she just held my hand, and this is what she said, my son has come. I will not die. Now I will be alive. But eventually, before I came, you know, I had to lose her. But see the hope that someone has when we see somebody who belongs to you, who cares for you, who loves you. The scene in the airport when we see the moment friends and families come there, we see people going there and hugging each other and kissing each other and sharing that moment with them that tells me that relationship is the most important thing in this world. Relationship is the most important thing in this world and any lost relationship could be brought back through the process known as reconciliation. And this morning we are talking about that. Two greatest commandments that Jesus ever spoke he said, you should have a proper relationship with God and you should have a proper relationship with the people. Those two commandments, it really talks about a relationship that we need to have today. I want to take you to the biblical context. Of course, the major reconciliation took place at the cross. When we were totally aliens for God, when we were totally away from God, Jesus died for us at the cross, reconciling a bunch of sinful people like us to the holy God. That was the exact, that was the ultimate reconciliation that took place ever in the history. But if you go a little bit to Old Testament, there's a story of Joseph, who was once thrown into the pit. Do you remember that story? How many of you know Joseph's story? Oh, probably many of you didn't go to Sunday school. I would like to send you down now for Sunday school. Joy can take you Sunday school now. The story of Joseph. He was thrown into the pit by his own brothers. And he survived. And eventually brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites took him to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard. And Joseph survived in Egypt. He was in the prison and he was doing well. And you know, God was with him. And eventually, he became the second in command of Pharaoh. He became the governor of Egypt. Someone who was thrown into the pit. Someone who was not at all useful for anybody. Someone who was about to be killed and about to be destroyed. Now he is a governor of Egypt. Now, there is a great famine. During the great famine, Joseph's fam family is coming to Egypt. After how many years? After? I think you should run a quiz now for our people, right? So you should do a quiz. We had a Bible quiz earlier, so we should do another quiz now. After how many years? 22 years. 
After 22 years, they are coming back. The brothers are coming back to see Joseph. You could imagine that moment. You could imagine that airport scenario happening now to Joseph's brother, brothers and Joseph. When Joseph saw his brothers in Egypt after 22 long years, he recognized them, that they are his family. The amount of joy, the amount of contentment and satisfaction and cheerfulness, happiness probably he would have had at that moment when he saw them. Now his father when Israel, Israel, his father, Jacob, when he saw Joseph in Egypt, shall we read from Genesis chapter 46 verse 30. This is what Joseph, Jacob said, and Israel said to Jacob, said to Joseph, father said to son, seeing him after 22 years, now, can you read with me, now, let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. You know, many times that's what happens to parents. Sometimes ch children are far away and parents are going through sickness and they are coming to the end of the age. And you know what? Nothing will happen to them until they see. Jacob's what desire was that I have seen my son now. Now I can die in peace. It tells me the emptiness of a broken relationship. The emptiness of a broken relationship and the need and the longing desire to have reconciliation. Now seeing Joseph alive, probably their blood would have ran cold by just the moment they saw Joseph. And probably they would have been terrified. Probably Joseph may take revenge against them because those brothers are the one threw him into the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. But Joseph made an extraordinary effort to reconcile with those who hurt him directly. Joseph made an extraordinary effort to reconcile with those who hurt him. The remarkable thing about Joseph was not his brilliance, it was not his administrative abilities, although it, they were all gifted by God, I would say the remarkable thing about Joseph, Joseph was his attitude. Especially his response to an unfair treatment. And his the attitude and the reason for his attitude was his relationship to the sovereign God. The reason for his reconciliation was his attitude. And the reason for his attitude was the relationship with the sovereign God. I think this is powerful. Did you get that? Can you say that with me? The reason for his attitude. Sorry. Forgive me. The reason for his reconciliation was his attitude. And the reason for his attitude was his relationship with God. Put the next slide, please. The key to, can you read with me? The key, next slide. The key to reconciliation, read with me, is your attitude. And the key to your attitude is submitting yourself to the sovereignty of God. To the sovereign God. Let's talk a little bit about it. Number one, the key to reconciliation is your attitude. Having a right attitude is the centrality of any relationship. Having a right attitude. The reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers would not have happened 
If he was not willing to reconcile, if he was not possessing the right attitude, can you all say right attitude? If he was not possessing the right attitude, probably the reconciliation would not have happened. You know, sometimes we point out and we say that for the relationship to become better, probably their attitude has to change. I see husbands and wives and coming and complaining about, not you, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about somebody else. Coming and telling me, I think her attitude has to change. I think, Pastor, she has to change. Can you pray for her? And what about you? You are just standing in front of me. I think, no, 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 no. Her attitude has to change. You know, but unfortunately, we don't have control over someone else's attitude. Do you have? No, we don't have control over somebody else's attitude. But we have control over our own attitude. And when we change our own attitude by doing this, we are impacting, we are influencing them to change their attitude. Did you get that? So first, it is all about our own attitude. If we change our attitude to have, to build our relationship, and we see the other person changing and building his or her attitude. In the early days of ministry in Halifax, one of the congregants, he was having, not having a right attitude to me as well as to the ministry. So I noticed that many times it was tough to handle at times. In front of me, he appeared to be very pleasing, very caring, and very loving. But he listened to people talk about me. And he eventually collected others' opinion about me. And one day he asked me, Pastor, I want to sit with you. And he just started listing them. This is what people think about you. This is what people speak about you. I said, I know everything. I already know everything. I even know who says that, who tells you that. I know, and it was a shock for him. And later, he found that he himself is a kind of leader to collect all these input from people. You know, that's how a group forms in a church or any community set up in that way. And we, I, I realized that, you know, that's what he's trying to do because he said that without me asking people come to me, and they talk about you, and then they, 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 they gave various reasons and opinion about me. And I continue to be, we both continue to be the same for him. We never changed our attitude towards him, and we were kind of loving and caring. And he appeared to be helping us, but inside, there was a desire that this ministry will die. That this ministry will die. So in 2015, when we moved to this place, almost after a couple of months, close to a year, once he walked into this space and he saw this place is full, this place was full at that moment, he changed his attitude totally. And we were having a good relationship until they leave, left the province. What I'm trying to say is, when we change our attitude, when we have a right attitude to maintain relationship, we see people automatically changing. This is true in family. Do not wait for her to change. Do not wait for him to change. You change. I change. Then we see the change in the other person. That's what is about attitude. Today, that is the main reason for the broken families. Many of the broken families are going through this issue 
the attitude issue. So attitude is a matter of choice. Most of the time, people talk against us or people do something which we don't like. They make us angry and they make us bitter. At times, we become bitter and we become judgmental. Attitude is a matter of choice. You know, this is our immediate human reaction. And next time we tend to avoid such people and we, and we always, and I say in the, in the human point of view, we look for next available opportunity to retaliate or to hit back. That's the human nature. I do that, you do that, all of us do that. We look for that opportunity to attack because I want to show who am I. Who are you? I want to show that who am I and who are you you know that's the nature that's our nature disciple Peter had this attitude problem many of the disciples had in fact Peter had a little more in John chapter 18 verse 10 then Simon Peter can you read with me then Simon Peter having a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. What did he achieve by doing it? Nothing. Nothing. We see an attitude issue there. It's easy to get carried away with a negative attitude. We don't need to do anything. That's how we are. That's the blood that runs in our lives. Instead of us, we don't need to do anything. There is no, in fact, there is no difference between if we continue to do that, we lose friendship, we lose relationship, our family relationship is miserable, and God cannot use us if we carry that wrong attitude in our lives. And there is no difference between a child of God and who do not have Christ in their lives. What is the difference if our attitude is not right? And we can say that hide under the umbrella saying that we are all human, but what Christ has done for you, does it mean anything? what Christ has accomplished. And what do we know when we say we are children of God? What do we say? But on the other hand, attitude is our choice. We can choose to have positive attitude. We can respond as David, sorry, Joseph responded. Joseph would not have carried that bitterness in his life for long. He was thrown into the pit, that's true. And eventually he had gone into the prison, that's true. But I don't think he had carried that bitterness for a long time. Otherwise, God would not have lifted him up. God lifted him up even from the prison. God lifted him up in the Pharaoh's palace. God wants us to deal with this bitterness. The negative attitude that we carry in our lives, that God is unable to do anything. When God sees bitterness in our lives, when God sees a negative attitude in our lives, God's hands are tied up. He can't do anything. He can't do anything. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15, can you read with me? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15. Looking carefully, can you read with me louder? Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. The key words to the scripture is, lest, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. The moment the grace of God is taken out of our lives, our lives are miserable. God wants us to set our attitude right. 
God wants us to remove the root of bitterness. It's easy to remove in the early stage. Any plant, when that is planted, it's easy to remove as the plant is growing up. But when the plant has become a big tree, rooted very strongly, it is very hard to remove. So it's very important to remove those bitterness when it is springing up. Do not allow those bitterness to settle down in your life, in your family. It will break the family. It will destroy the family. Settle everything. Settle everything before the sun goes. That's what scripture says. Settle everything before sun goes down. When you both go back to bed, husband and wife must go to bed together. What husbands are doing watching video after wife slept, you must go to bed together for a good family relationship. Look at one another. If your husband and wife are sitting next to you, tell him we need to do it. Yeah, good, Jennifer. We need to do it. We need to do it. Good, I mean, that's a good sign. Good step. We need to do it. Now the question is, I have work to finish. I have children to sleep. It's all there. It's all there. It's all there in all the families. Why did I get there? <laughs> Shot of grace. No, is it? Okay. Shot of grace. Okay, we fall short of the grace of God. We need to settle down those things before even we go to sleep. If you don't go together, they'll not get an opportunity to settle those things, right? Am I with, right with you? They won't get an opportunity to settle those things. If that is not settled, it's going, it's one level deep down the root is. And next day you forget because you have next day problem to complain. And then you don't complain, you don't get time. And then root is going, becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. It becomes very difficult to pull this out. The key to reconciliation is our attitude. Secondly, we saw the key to your attitude is submitting yourself to the sovereign God. Can you say sovereign God? You know, there cannot be anything greater than God in our lives. Our proud, our ego cannot just be greater than our God because he is sovereign. If he is not giving us grace and tomorrow we are not in existence and we need each other in that same way. We don't know what happens to anyone on the face of this earth. Today I'm appearing to be so strong and so proud and walking around. But tomorrow I don't know what happens. I may have to just hold your hands. I don't know. I need you. I need you. All of us need, all of us, we need each other. No one can survive. No one can survive without each other. We need all of us. So one thing that is noticeable throughout the life of Joseph is the centrality of God in his life. Can you say centrality? He was keeping God at the center in his life. You know, this is very important to understand. The key to your attitude is submitting yourself to this sovereign God. You know, many times we are unable to practice good attitude in our lives because our relationship with God is not right or God is not at the center of our lives. Many times we say God is sovereign, we trust God, but we don't take decisions based on, by keeping God at the center. We make our own plans and we want God to approve our plans. We make our own decisions and we want God to follow us. God, that's where I'm going and if you want you can come with me, right? And this is what I'm going to do God and I hope you like. And I better you like it. 
And I want you to approve this. That's how our prayers are. We decide where you want to go. What do you want to do? Whom you want to marry? Everything we decide. And we ask God to approve it. And where is God? He's not there at all in the scene. He's somewhere else. We call them and call him as if he is a guest and come and go. God wants us to keep him at the center of our lives. Even if God is there in our lives, he's not at the center. He's somewhere at the corner. I want you to just think about your life. How many decisions you take after waiting upon the Lord? How many decisions we take by our own? God wants us to be kept. God wants us to keep him at the center of our lives. But Joseph kept God at the center. How do I know it? I, need, I know because I read the scriptures. The sequence of events that took place in his life tells me that he was keeping God at the center of his life. So when we submit ourselves to God, our attitude becomes right. When we surrender ourselves to God, God's desire and God's will, our attitudes become right. Shall we just look at how Joseph kept God at the center of his life? When Potiphar tried, Joseph seduced Joseph to sin. He immediately thought about God. Shall we read Genesis chapter 39 verse 9? Can you read with me? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God, keeping God in front of him. When Joseph was in the dungeon, when he was in the prison, the cupbearer and who? Who else? The cupbearer and? The cupbearer, cupbearer and? Who are there in the prison? Cupbearer and? The baker, right? I mean, I just forgot. That's why I asked you. Cupbearer and the baker. They had a dream. And Joseph was supposed to interpret the dream. Joseph was supposed to respond to the dream and see what he responded in Genesis chapter 40 verse 8. This is what exactly he said. Do not, sorry, do not interpretations belong to God? Keeping God at the center. You know, today we see somebody is having a gift of interpretation. The question is, do you keep God as the center? Somebody is having a gift of healing. Do you keep God at the center? Are your gift. When he was called before Pharaoh, who said, Pharaoh said, I heard that you can interpret dream. Can you interpret my dream? Genesis chapter 41, verse 16. This is what Joseph said. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. It's not me. Humbling himself, surrendering himself. That helps him to develop that good attitude in him. And in giving Pharaoh the interpretation, Joseph used God's name many times. In fact, four different times he used God's name to Pharaoh that it is not of me, it is of God. Shall we read Genesis chapter 41 verse 25? Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh are one. Dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. It's not me. It's God. See how he is keeping God at the center. When Joseph was blessed with the two children, when Joseph's wives bore him two sons, he gave them names which bore witnesses to God's faithfulness. Shall we read Genesis chapter 41 verse, verses 51 and 52? Can you read it with me? Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. What a beautiful Dependence on God. He named Manasseh and he said, For God has made me what? Forget 
all my toil and my toil and my father's house. God helped me to forget all those things that had happened. I don't carry any bitterness anymore. I don't harbor bitterness anymore in my heart. And second child in verse 22, and the name of the second he called Ephraim. What does it mean? For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, two things that we need to understand here. One thing is you need to let go. Let go the past. If you carry your past, you don't see the fruit in your life. God wants you to throw that past. He said, God, help me to forget my father's house and I call him Manasseh. And here he says, God, help me to be fruitful in the land where I am and called him Ephraim. God wants you to forget your father's house. Do not keep talking to your husband about your father's house. God brought you to live with him. Why are you going back there? There are people to take care of them. Father will take, mother will take care of father. Father will take care of mother. Or some caregiver will take care of them. But you are called to live with your king. When you forget your father's house, your king will... Oh, you don't know scripture. That's the reason. You, your king will... Rejoice in your beauty that's what scripture says god wants us to forget our past why why we are every time we talk about it we talk about the past what's the point what's the use call it as a manasseh call it as a manasseh and forget those things and god wants you to move forward ephraim for god has caused me to be fruitful in the land of affliction you know joseph is keeping god at first when Joseph's brother came to buy grain, even though Joseph wanted to disguise or wanted to hide himself from them, he could not hide with the relationship that he had with God. He had to forget. When Joseph saw his brothers after 22 years, notice what Joseph said, Genesis 45 verse 5. Can you read with me? Genesis 45 verse 5. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with, you, with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. It is again God. Do not worry that you harmed me. It's true. But I don't have that anymore in my life. Can you say that in the somewhere standing in the future time in your life? Can you turn back and say, you harmed me. I thought you would be a good spouse to my life, but that you harmed me. You put my life miserably in, in misery. And what I'm going through today in my life, it's because of you. Can you stand and look at your past and say, you made it for evil, but God turned it to be? good you planned evil against me but you know what god turned that to be good he says but now do not therefore grieve within you or become angry within yourselves because you sold me here for god sent me before you to preserve life in fact he was preserving all the lives of egypt during that famine he was in fact helping his whole household when all of them came together, I don't exactly remember how many, I think around 60 or 66 people came forward from Canaan, following Joseph and his brothers, including Jacob, his father. And God sent Joseph. You know, today somebody is against you. Today, you know, you are going through what you are going through because of something and somebody has done something against you. But you know what? God has a plan. God has a purpose and he allowed that to happen in your life. And today what you are going through, God is going to turn that into something good. But you need to be 
a Manasseh and you need to be an Ephraim. Don't forget those things. You need to be a Manasseh in your life and you need to be an Ephraim in your life looking forward, forgetting the past. Genesis 45 verse 8 and he says, so now it was not you who sent me here, but who? God, lifting up God like just like anything. And he has made me the father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. That's not easy. Nobody can come up to that position. You all know about Pharaohs, right? Nobody can come up to that position. Now he God had lifted him up. Just one least one single reason was his attitude. His attitude. At the end of Genesis, when Joseph's brothers they feared that because Joseph died, Jacob died already, father died already, they, that now he may kill us. Look at their attitude, that has not changed. That has not changed. Still they are thinking this fellow is going to kill. After giving all this, all, 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 all the grains that they need, after giving the land of Goshen from Pharaoh and giving that to Joseph's family and asked them to settle and live there, but still the brothers are thinking, after the death of Jacob, probably he's going to kill me. Genesis chapter 50, 19 and 20. Can you read it with me? Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. For I am in the place, sorry. For am I in the place of God to kill you, to destroy you? I can't judge you. I'm not in the place of God to kill and destroy you. And he says, verse 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. How many of you could say that this morning in your life? That you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, you all gone through so much in your life, I understand, I agree with you. But are you able to stand and say that you meant it for evil, but God turned it to be good? That is a wonderful testimony if you can say that this morning. And just before his death, Joseph said to his brothers, Genesis chapter 50. We are taking you through, this, through many scenarios where Joseph kept God at the center of his life. And Joseph said to his brethren, can you read with me? I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Because Joseph submitted himself to God, he had a good attitude. And because he had a good attitude, he could reconcile with his brothers. And God lifted him up. To put the final slide, the key to reconciliation is your attitude. And the key to your attitude is submitting yourself to the sovereign God. Amen. Your relationship with God defines your attitude. This morning, God wants us to have the right attitude with others. Is your attitude crooked? Is your attitude not thinking straight? Is your attitude indirectly trying to harm people? Is your attitude rejoicing when others are suffering, especially people who you don't like, when they suffer, when they struggle, are you rejoicing even though you don't show it outside? Are you just rejoicing inside of you? When something bad happens to them, are you just a fraction of a second? Are you just thinking, she needs it, he needs it? Wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. Are we waiting for an opportunity to see others fall? It shows that our relationship with God is not right. 
We can't alter that. That's a straight equation, linear equation. We can't change that. We are unable to reconcile because our attitude, my attitude is not right. A man went to see a doctor. <clears throat> Moment he saw the doctor, he just mourned and then he just uh, felt so much agony and pain. And he said, look, doctor, everywhere I touch in my body with my finger, it's paining. I touch my nose with my finger, it's paining. I touch my foot with my finger, it's paining. I touch my stomach near my belly button, it's paining. Do doctor, I'm going through something terrible in my life that I may die soon. Please help me. The doctor listened to him very patiently and he understood what the struggle, struggle that this man is going through. And the doctor organized a full body x-ray. And the man has gone through the x-ray and he took, he took the x-ray and waiting for the result. And the doctor called him and he just looked at the x-ray and to find out is there anything going wrong in his x-ray. And the doctor called this man closer to the x-ray and asked him to have a look at everything. I don't see anything wrong in your body. But look at your finger, that finger is broken. And with that finger, wherever you press, it will obviously pain. We carry a broken finger in our lives and we say, it's pain everywhere. I don't like these people. I can't talk to them. They are so aggressive, they are so against, they talk evil. Whereas our finger is broken. Shall we all arise this morning?